0: Hello and welcome to Cut Runs I Hate You (laughs) (laughs) that's why we keep doing this to you (laughs) (laughs) oh i assume anyone who listens to this is doing so as a form of penance (laughs) i can't comment the marvel superhero yeah Yep. speedball had spikes inside his suit feels um 2008 feels late for that that feels like a real like 1998 more like type. Uh... You're saying it's so 2000 and late. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the quality of episode in store for today. Uh, welcome to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a pair of twins. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's potentially fair to say. But then also I read a million times her being like, yeah, it's inspired by my relationship with my twin brother. And I was like, "Uh." (laughs) I I guess it's a twin thing. (laughs) Uh, Of course we are alluding to the works of our newest, uh, got the run Z. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, uh, our newest bowl. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that we're dropping That's our so file. <laughs> <laughs> oh, apologies to all, all of our previous and future bowls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to our current bowl who <laughs> you don't like it? I really don't like it. <laughs> oh, we could work on it. Um, of course, uh, this, this particular creator who we are covering in this miniseries has committed one of the cardinal sins, quite frankly, i.e. being younger than me. <laughs> yes. Yes, she has. Um, there's some real what have I done with my life energy that we're going to be talking about today because brace yourself for this she made end of summer when she was 18 she was still in high school I (laughs) saw this I I like I don't she wasn't still in high school for starters but she was still in high school when she was working on it sure I believe you um but yeah I mean it's it's quite evil (laughs) <laughs> I her to do this to you. Yes. I mean it's it's crazy because like I I understand like even though I'm like this is really impressive for somebody of this age like something like I love this part or even a city inside I'm like okay like I can see a really talented 18-year-old making this comic but then it's like how how do you come up with end of summer at end that End of summer age? It, or like ever. Like to be 18 years old and to write end of summer and be like, now I'm going to do like a densely built world in like 60 pages and I'm only going to show and not tell. I'm not going to tell anything. It's all just going to like unfold. I just can't imagine like finding anything that I like said, wrote, or did at age 18 and not being like so embarrassed by it. And then like reading at the end of summer and being like, I couldn't do this now. Let alone like oh, at mean. age eighteen. <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly shows not tell. Some would say it gets confusing. Well, the if there's a, if there's a problem that it runs into, it's that most of the characters are siblings <laughs> yeah. in in a black and white comic that uses kind of a dreamy, um, like sort of like soft style. So. All of the characters are already supposed to look like each other, right? For and, and yeah, so I agree that at times, it part it's it's a little hard to keep track of things at times, especially if you're not flipping back and forth. In part because there are instances where it takes like a little bit of like reminding yourself who every character even is, right? And like what their deal is, if they even have one, which right. I'm not sure they do, but no, I they don't they <laughs> do. We are covering the works of Tilly Walden, the young cartoonist, <laughs> and our newest bowl. Uh, so today we are covering, kind of. Uh, what are what are we covering, David? I'll let we are you covering feel this one. So I have alone in space. I believe you do not have alone in space. But we are primarily that, which is fine because what we're mostly talking about are her first three published comics, which are "The End of Summer," which came out when she was nineteen and which she should be arrested for that fact. Sure. I love this part, which I believe also came out when she was nineteen, and I believe is kind of her like um, her name maker, her breakout work, so to speak. Sure. And "A City Inside," which is. i I don't really like it's it feels like shade which is not intended to say it's her other longish work from this period (laughs) they should call. do you think she should have called it insidious Uh, no i don't (laughs) in city comma us (laughs) Ah, really makes you think that's gonna be the new there's no justice just us it's not realize 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 in city us um of course you have it written here in our document as uh the end of summer a city inside and this is my favorite part oh that's because um hmm. Why is that? Yeah, never mind. I take it back. Cuz you hate this part right here Yeah, of the pussycat dolls. Apparently, I often get this confused with her most newest work. Are you listening? Which also uses like this kind of like yellow wash that is very evocative. So any, you know, people wearing headphones, that's the, the, there's a lot of confusion for. Comment? Yeah. That's right. This is what I'm listening to. Uh-huh. Uh, now playing. <laughs> NP, <laughs> this book. So, I mean, what? where do we want to start here? Because obviously, like, the thing about her is that she is young <laughs> and <laughs> made these comics when she was young. But, I mean, like, that certainly isn't all there is not theres to it. I would say that there is, is to it. a thing about her, certainly. Sure. I mean, that's the thing that sort of comes up the most, I feel like. other Yeah. Than- I mean, the fact that she is, like... Still, oh, yeah, like the the like subheading of this is comics by Tilly Walden aged 16 to 20 years old. So it's kind of impossible to avoid that. It's like I am holding in my hand comics that were created by a 16 year old and published and that I paid money for, which is not something that usually happens. Um, so her youngness it's it is kind of impossible to avoid both just because like she instantly started winning awards like she she won awards for um the end of summer which is her first published work and then when she wins the eisner for spinning which we'll be covering next she kind of cements her place in history as i'm pretty sure she is the youngest ever but then i tried to like source check myself on that. And everyone is just like, one of the youngest ever. Um, but I'm pretty sure she is the youngest ever. And so, yeah, inevitably her youngest youth ever Eisner Award winner. Eisner Award winner. Yeah. So then at that point, it becomes basically impossible to talk about her without being like, and she's so young. <laughs> right. Which she is. But I don't know. and And I think there is the fact that because especially these books that we're looking at today are the product of a teenager or young adult and are, you know, she, she, I would say her primary appeal is kind of to a young adult audience, even though she achieves kind of a broader appeal outside of that as well. I do think that young adults are kind of the people who she is most interested in sort of speaking to in some ways, because again, she is a young adult herself. And so it it like really encapsulates not so much uh, the end of summer, but the other two really kind of encapsulate the feeling of like, being a, a teen so so there's just like a, a lot of youth in these books and even the end of summer is still kind of like a coming of age story about like young adultish or like early teen characters so yeah it i mean it feels like a like reflection on one's youth written by like a 70 year old it does it projects. because because of like the melancholy of it all and just like the way it's drawn like Mm -hmm. it's such a it's such a weird book (laughs) yes you're talking about the end of summer specifically yes yes so end of summer uh, i will attempt a plot synopsis so it follows the royal family of a fantastical world um (laughs) it's specifically focused on lars who is the youngest or the second youngest son uh, and who has learned that he is ill and is going to die by the end of winter, which also lasts for three years. So he has basically been given a like you have three years to live prognosis And then they retreat into their sort of like winter palace together with uh, some of their staff and servants and try to ride out the winter. But being uh, confined all in together, the family starts to uh, sort of collapse on itself. There's sort of like a predisposition to insanity. It seems everyone is sort of like, well, of course, someone is going to go crazy. We all go a bit mad, <laughs> and uh, and several of them do. But uh, yes, the the burden of expectations from uh, the father on the children takes its toll as the some of the older kids begin to act out with, you know a a. a an unblessed pregnancy and uh, an upstairs-downstairs romance between the uh, the heir to the throne and one of the uh, servants in the castle. And then the younger kids seem to be the ones who more so go insane with the kind of middle brother becoming uh, violently murderous. And Lars are kind of entry point characters, twin sister. Also having some sort of breakdown, but less violent and more so just behavioral. (laughs) This is the only way to describe it. We all go a little mad. Yeah. And so at the end, Perry, who is the one who becomes violently uh, mad, starts attacking people. And I'm a little unclear (laughs) on what exactly happens at the end. But I believe so. Lars like lets himself out to like kind of like die on the ice flow, so to speak, where he's sort of right. like no sense prolonging this any longer. I'm going to go out into the like mystical winter, which is sure to kill me pretty much instantly. the The queen smashes one of the windows to the palace because she's mad that that there's not going to be any repercussions <laughs> for the the eldest son's like lover his like role in stealing this little figurine that causes perry to go insane it's like i said very dense for a book that is like 60 pages or 70 pages and uh and i'm just letting you uh yeah (laughs) clearly yeah I, i mean it is it is kind of like a i guess a loss of innocence story ultimately but uh, yeah, this this attempt at a synopsis has gone fully, fully off the rails. Suffice to say, the strains and tensions of living in isolation and in the palace caused the family to fracture. Sure. Like ice flows. Mm-hmm. Um You also didn't mention that there's a twin. Oh yeah, there's a huge cat. Oh, did. yeah, I did there's mention that there's a cat. twin. Oh, well, there's a huge cat. <laughs> um And a twin. Yeah. I mean, this was probably my least favorite. Of the three... It's, it's, it's a classic... It's like, certainly the least accessible. Yeah, it's a classic, I respect this more than I like this, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think ultimately, this is a sort of type of stately melodrama kind of thing. Like, you know, again, I always compare things to movies. But when I think about, like, the movies that I would compare this to, which are, like, very obviously, like, old movies, like... 30s 40s type movies like Mm -hmm. you know it's like this house makes me think of like citizen kane and like the magnificent ambersons and so those kinds of movies i'm also like not particularly predisposed to especially when they are so sort of like gothic in their tone Mm -hmm. and sort of turn into these like family melodramas where it's like she's taken ill and like, <laughs> and just like someone like has their hand on their head. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that, like I'm already not particularly predisposed towards those. And then like the density did challenge me a lot. And I was just like, who is anyone and what do they want? And like, you know, I, I don't think there's enough there to really make you care about like what's going on with this family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would go quite that far myself as to say I don't care, but I am sort of in the same camp. I think I, I do like it, but it definitely is challenging. And again, like the fact that this is like the work of a teenager and it is so challenging is like part of what is sort of so mind-blowing about it. But I do agree that this is something that I would be interested in like seeing expanded. Like I do think that there's plenty of room to grow it out into something that would be like a bit more sort of full-sized graphic novel. But uh, yeah, I I do appreciate it a lot for what it is kind of in the state that it already exists in. The artwork is uh, like stunning. (laughs) Um, There's like, you know, the characters I think we will see more so in the, the other two books her sort of like developing towards what has kind of become her style, but the architecture is like really kind of what's on display and like the palace itself. Um, I read an interview with her where she like talked basically about like the setting is another character type of uh, type of thing, but not really in the way of like, you know, like it needs to like feel like, I, I don't know, like New York is the yeah. sixth character is like the, the classic kind of like way to, to undercut that. But she was talking about it in terms of like comics is unique in that, like people are able to spend as much time in the setting and the world as they want with each individual panel where like you're never going to hit pause on a movie or a TV show to like sit in the space that characters right. are in. And so taking advantage of that by making the like the background and the setting a place that is like interesting or inviting or a place that people want to spend time is something that basically she talks about, like taking a lot of personal interest in and feels is kind of important to how she works. And I think that, yeah, in in this, when when the characters or the specifics of the plot can sometimes feel a little impenetrable at times i think that having the kind of like magical world of the palace which seems to like (laughs) just be like an unending (laughs) building with innumerable rooms uh and like all of them are like these huge cavernous spaces it is like really cool to just sort of like look at the place that these characters are all in yeah i mean like it really sort of like states its intent from the first panel, which is, like, mm-hmm. crazy. Yes. And, like, I think I maybe read the same interview or just read her sort of statement uh, at the end of the story, but she talks a lot about, like, in the making of it, just sort of feeling that need to continually add detail. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, sort of, sort of what, like what we were talking about with uh, Hobtown Mysteries, to be, like, you're adding more lines, like, everything's becoming more and more intricate. And then mm-hmm. what I think is really cool is... Sort of the way that that stands in relief, almost, again, similar to Hobtown, but, like, even more so, that the characters can be so sketchy and so, like, formless almost, Mm -hmm. where it's, like, their faces are almost, like, suggested by, like, dark smudges (laughs) more than they are by, like, anything else. Yeah, she talks about, like, for that first panel, basically, like, putting it together her her process sounds completely demented. We'll talk about this more possibly with some of the, the future volumes, but she doesn't thumbnail at all. So like she doesn't, she doesn't pre-plan the layout until she's basically working on the page. And she talks about drawing this first page. And she basically was like, so like I drew this banister and then like I started drawing the stairs and then I just like kept drawing more stairs. And then I was like, Oh, of course this room is huge. And so then I added the people in like super small (laughs) and then, and that was like the key that kind of like unlocked the setting for her, which is like, there's a lot of like, um, you know, people, people in proportion to their environs is certainly a strongly recurring theme. Uh, in uh, in her this this early work including some of the short comics um and in this case it is very much all about like very small people in a very huge space but but go on with what you were saying well just that i was sort of just gonna say that you know you see her influences pretty quickly like i think Mm -hmm. it's very obvious that there's like a manga influence here yeah i mean even just like the way that she like draws food in loving detail. Mm-hmm. Oh which I yeah, the like- food. The food is very. Um, the the person who she really talks about a lot specifically is Miyazaki. Yeah, and i I got that very much with a city inside where like I was like, this is just a Miyazaki movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely, in terms of like kind of the like fantastical elements of it, and that sort of like you know the the kind of like calm melancholy of it all and like it it definitely does feel like someone who was very impacted by like totoro or you know Mm -hmm. some of the chiller miyazaki uh joints because there's not a ton of action in most of these until like kind of the very end of the end of summer uh and really not at all in the other two but so those are the big ones. And for this one specifically, she also talks a lot about uh, Windsor McKay of uh, Nemo in Slumberland. So, sure. you know, the the cat being named Nemo, of course, is kind of a bit of an homage to that. But for her, like Little Nemo comics are kind of to, to her what Archie is to us, like that thing that she always read as a kid and it was always around. Um, so I do think that... The, some of the sort of like Baroque sensibility of this is also part of the, the sort of the Windsor McKay and the little Nemo tribute expressing itself as well. Right. And though, are those like European, I assume those are, I'm not actually sure. They might be American The they're, but they're like they early. American. They're like 19, like 10, like they're early, early, like proto comics. Right. Because I was going to say like, I, I do also see a little bit of like Tintin or whatever, like Mm -hmm. that sort of like European cartooning style in there as well. Um, In this one, I'd say mostly you see the manga influence, but sometimes like just the way characters are posed or like the way their eyes look, I feel like can give you like, Mm -hmm. I mean, really she takes influence from anywhere really. And like, I feel like she sort of, sees the ways that like certain scenes play out better in certain media or like Mm -hmm. certain styles, and so she sort of just takes that and like tries to establish that because like I've been it's like sort of like her establishing shots are often sort of well I don't know because they they feel a bit of manga as well, but those are maybe more like traditionally American Mm -hmm. and like you know sort of wordless sequences, and then. You have like more manga inspired in terms of like the actual line art and sort of, and I think a lot of the plotting as well, just like the way that it's sort of like vignette and sort of creates a tone mm-hmm. and sort of like hints at things that are sort of left unexpressed in some ways, I feel like can be a hallmark of anime and manga a lot. Yeah. It's definitely, um, like, they're all real vibe pieces for sure. I do think that in terms of, like, the, I guess, storytelling side of things, the basis is very much in manga. I don't think that she was ever someone who was, like, a big reader of corporate American comics or superhero comics especially. Sure. So much as she was a devotee of anime and manga her kind of like intro to making comics is that she was doing um, like high school art classes and then her dad flew her from Texas to Los Angeles so that she could go to a Scott McLeod workshop, which Mm. seems completely demented for me for a kid who liked comics, but had never like really drawn them or expressed that much interest in drawing them. But anyway, so she like went to this like workshop, this two day workshop where she spent two days just like, talking about comics with Scott and making comics uh, surrounded by all these other people who were there to like talk about comics and make comics and then came home and was like, and of course I will now express myself exclusively through the medium of yeah. comics. I will now travel to Hartford, Vermont. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will now within three years be a published comics author. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that was where she sort of like threw herself into the deep end. And so, As far as kind of like the American side of things, it does, I think, take its root kind of with lessons imparted by Scott. But then when you consider the influence of manga on him, then it's sort of like, well, I'm sure a lot of it is just kind of reinforcing some of the visual lessons and some of the instincts and sensibilities that she already had from being primarily a manga and anime person. Yeah. And yeah, like when I, when I said American comics, I wasn't referring to superhero comics. And I feel like mm-hmm. you see sort of like the absence of that. And I guess that's true of a lot of, you know, sort of independent, maybe isn't the right word, but sort of like creators who are like very clearly working outside of the mainstream American mm-hmm. comic space. Like, it's not like she will suddenly be like, well, I don't know, maybe she not, maybe not drawing, but like she could be like, and she's writing Fantastic Four. I mean, not she Fantastic Four, she has now had big two work published. She did a story in Wonder Woman Black and Gold, um, sure. which DC <laughs> has been doing these like monochrome color kind of series. So they did like a Superman Red and Blue where all the stories were Superman. Like it, it, These are like anthology series. And so Superman Red and Blue, they were all the only color used was either red or blue. They weren't about red and blue Superman, but they used I red and blue. Was say. And then Wonder Woman Black and Gold was another one where, you know, just what it says on the tin, the only color that was used was gold. Um, they're doing... Marvel's doing one that's just red, but I can't remember which character that's for. I think it might be Wolverine, where it's like black, white, and blood, something like that. Sure. Anyway, so that's like a real, a real thing that is kind of happening in the big two comics these days. And she did a story for the Wonder Woman, one of those. And then of course, like her main kind of like graphic novel thing that she has been doing the past couple of years is of course, the walking dead colon Clementine (laughs) (laughs) and like getting people mad is what I saw. (laughs) Oh, I, I, who knows? We'll save that for the episode. I haven't really looked into that at all. Other than that, like, I, I don't know, crazy Crazy thing that <laughs> that happened. Yeah, really I mean, crazy. it is sort of like you know this this like young woman who is primarily indie makes a huge splash at the Eisners and has like all of this appeal to basically like has has made herself into a huge success with all the people that big two comics have been like trying and failing to reach for like twenty years now. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense that kind of instantly they would be like, okay, how can we get her working on something that? we own um so that you know we can get those those exact eyeballs that we've been trying to get onto our products and into into our fold yeah and it you know there are like we said end of summer not particularly accessible to me like it sort of is interesting almost the way like how sort of emotionally distant it is because it is Mm -hmm. very like gothic or shakespearean in the sense that it's just like an overt tragedy like yeah. there aren't really any like moments of lightness really at all in it and obviously no. that fits in it like the art fits into that and obviously mm-hmm. the story like the whole story is about like the absence of warmth yeah and it's and just and I mean, your your whole like perspective character who provides the narration also is someone who has like had his death warrant signed and is basically like watching his remaining time sort of like slip away. So even he is not exactly like, like he's pretty resigned to his fate. And it's not like, like, like melancholy is really the way to describe it. There's sort of a per- pervasive sort of like sadness that sits over the whole book, even in some of its kind of like happiest moments, because The main character like is dying and knows that he's dying which kind of prevents it ever from being like fully and uncomplicatedly just like happy or light and of course like the even just the name like to call it the end of summer is so much about like you know the the flower of my youth is like withering away (laughs) you know the cold reality of the world has killed it is is sort of the whole vibe Yeah. And, like, you know, that's not to say that I love this part or A City Inside are, like, happy books. No, they're they're certainly not. (laughs) They both sort of have this sense of, like, if not impending doom, then, like, sort of, like, a very explicit acknowledgement that, like, the happiness or, like, the happy moments of your life will Mm -hmm. all, like, one day pass and, like... Into each life, a little rain must fall. Into each win, a little fail must fall. Is a, a term oh, I actually coined boy. Uh, uh, just now. No, <laughs> unfortunately, no. Um, now, have you enlisted for the fail army? Uh, well, I've become a full-time writer on the fail blog. Oh. <laughs> I haven't yet gone to basic training. <laughs> I consider myself a commissioned officer of the Fail Army, certainly. I do. Uh, I recently purchased an AK Failey 7. <laughs> oh. nothing, nothing. I don't think Keep you going. need to bring your own weapon to the Fail Army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, to, to go back to the art again. They give you an M16's React. Is this anything? Uh, no. <laughs> to go back to the art. Uh, for a bit. So it is black and white and there is like a fair bit of heavy cross hatching. I do think that there's also like quite a bit of watercolor work in this, but the color of choice is gray. <laughs> so that is kind of contributing to sort of like a lot of the shadows and shading are done with that, which again all very much contributes to the moodiness of it. Yeah, it is It is quite similar, you know, I already sort of mentioned this, but it is quite similar to Hobtown in the way that, like, the depth of the background sort of contrasts with the stylization mm-hmm. of the characters, mm-hmm. which I think is a cool effect. Although there's certainly, like, times when the characters are kind of more in focus when she does go a bit more towards a slightly more detailed style for them. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking of, uh, in particular, on page six, there's a panel of Lars, like, drifting off to sleep that's, like, a really close-up of his head resting on the pillow, which is, which is like, pretty lush. Yeah, I mean, like, certainly she can put in that detail into a human when she wants to. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, mainly, like, things like insert shots and close-ups and things like that are when you see that. Yeah. Yeah. Just paging through to see if there's anything else to kind of specifically address. So the pregnancy plot line, my understanding, the father. <laughs> my understanding is like the patriarch of the oh, like the father is the father. Yes, that's messed. That was my understanding. Yes, it's I, I do that's messed. As I like peer in closer, think that you could be correct, but of course, I, as I said, like I, I start to lose like. Hector is like the doctor. Hector, yeah, no, Hector is Lars's like personal kind of servant slash butler. And why does Maja Maya crazy name also? uh, Why does she like get locked up? Yeah, so real like people get locked up type. (laughs) This is this is another one of the parts that I kind of was most sort of trying to figure out. It's because she cut her hair. <laughs> I think that's maybe more but symbolic it, of uh, yes, but she cut her hair because of the like mental break that she has, which is kind of most exemplified by this scene that uh, we see at breakfast where she has an outburst and pours tea all over the table and has, has to be mode, certainly <laughs> has to be dragged away by orderlies basically. And then the next time we see her, she is locked up. Yeah. I mean, it really is just like, especially like sort of after that moment, like book book two of the mm-hmm. sort of books it's divided to is pretty much just like everyone's going crazy and everyone yeah. has their own little crazy mode thing. But, you know, ultimately, I don't care that much. I mean, like, I really to be quite honest, like, I don't care that much about Lars, either. Like mm-hmm. the, I guess, like, the strongest relationship that gets established is sort of, like, the Lars-Meyer relationship, where, like, he's sick, and she's sort of, like, his protector in some way, but then also she, like, has her own internal battles that she's dealing with. I feel like we've seen that sort of dynamic before mm-hmm. in media. Yeah, it... it uh, I'm not sure that... The hair cutting, I don't know, does seem to have some <laughs> big significance because because the whole like thing that initiates her being locked up is that one of the servants comes to the queen and is like, we can't find her, but we found her hair. And that's when the queen is right. like, we must put her away. <laughs> right. But then yeah. the only explanation we get for that is that she says, like, it's not presentable for me to have short hair but also who cares because we're like locked away in our big palace. And so it's like, if it's just a question of presentability, which it's obviously not based on like just the other behavior that we have seen from her, then yeah. Rich text. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean like, again, it's, it's something that I respect. Like it's clearly something where it's like, there's been a lot of thought put into like, The world obviously and like Mm -hmm. you know the more sort of concrete elements of it as well but like it's it's crazy to me that like someone of this age can make something where i'm like yes this is like the magnificent ampersand (laughs) (laughs) and like have that not feel like a crazy comparison yeah the paneling throughout this one pretty dense lots of those insert shots um many of which fraught with uh, symbolism, especially, I think it's right at maybe the start of book three or the end of book. No, it's right at the start of book two when there's that whole sequence where it's basically just like Lars's narration over these like illustrations of like engine components. Right. Very cool. I do feel like that is kind of like where it works best for me is when it is like a little bit less focused on the narrative and more focused on like taking advantage of some of the imagery and you know digging into this the the internality of Lars. Yeah, she she shows really early and I saw this in the other comics too like sort of you know it's a very comics thing as well but sort of like this like juxtaposition of metaphor. Mhm. She is really can be really effective with but then also like you know i'm thinking of a part and i love this part where you know really early on we see a page where it's like them like sitting and hanging out but then like they look like they're giant Mm -hmm. and they're near like they're like sort of like standing near these houses or like they're like as big as mountains yeah um and just like those moments like the ability to sort of inject that metaphor into the work and have it not like be jarring mm-hmm. and just have that sort of and like to sort of like just let that sit on its own i think and you know it, it's not even something that gets like teed up in the way that i feel like comics can often do where it's sort of like here comes the like moment that you're gonna be <laughs> walking out over um <laughs> i feel like it like avoids that really effectively and that's something I see in like a lot of all of these comics really mm-hmm. yeah i mean and i love this part to uh, to segue very naturally and i actually hate this part right here uh huh. <laughs> that's <laughs> what the fifth time you've said that since we started this call <laughs> the whole like the whole playing with size thing is is kind of like the whole thing of this this comic where it's it's semi-autobiographically i think telling the story of these two young girls who are uh, are very close friends and seems like nothing more <laughs> um, <laughs> who who are very close friends and then you know begin their first sort of forays into uh, into young love and then subsequently young heartbreak i hate hearing you talk about this and anytime that they are alone together they are shown as like huge (laughs) like way bigger than anything else in their surroundings pretty much um or or not not necessarily way bigger but like disproportionately big yeah, like Whereas, as big as a house or as big as a mountain. Yeah, or- like towering over the highway or like, at the. at I think it's like the second or third page I really like where they're like doing their homework together, but instead of like a bed or a desk or whatever that they would be sprawled on, they're like draped over like these huge buildings and there's like shots of them at the beach, but... Instead of it just being like sitting with their feet in the water, they're sitting on like these big hills <laughs> with their feet in the water. But then as we see the relationship sort of like starting to dissolve or the 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 outside influences of like school or their parents or other people in their lives or what have you, they are like reduced down to normal size, basically. Right. Like anywhere anywhere where they're like kind of being confined, they are, confined yeah and you know we see a lot of sort of like repeated like imagery Mm -hmm. like you know you'll like you'll see like shots of the places they were like empty or occupied by one of them things like that yeah i mean it's good (laughs) yep um (laughs) this one this one done i believe entirely through single page I was gonna like say. splashes or panels which makes it even though it is again probably like 60 65 pages ish kind of in that same ballpark it reads much faster because there's only ever one panel or one image for pay per page and often like you said there there might not only might there not be dialogue there might also just like not even be people <laughs> like it there are frequently pages where it's just like a landscape like portrait (laughs) yeah and you know i think like sort of she has this recognition that like things like that can be so powerful and it's like i mean it's almost like it feels experimental in a big way because it's like well like a for sort of playing with size and proportion like we were sort of talking with end of summer but then also just sort of like playing with the size and proportion of, like, a comic and a panel. Because, like, you know, it's sort of, like, End of Summer is so dense, like you were saying. And then this is feels so open, because, Mm -hmm. obviously, like, structurally, it is, like, extremely open. And then, you know, City Inside is almost finding the middle ground of that. So, like, this almost feels like... It feels like such a departure, or, like, it's it's sort of, like, the inverse of End of Summer, where it's, like it's instead of being, like, cold and distant, it's more personal and, mm-hmm. like, semi-autobiographical, potentially. And instead of being dense, it's, like, very open. And just sort of, it feels like her trying to do something almost as different from End of Summer as possible. Yeah, because instead of having these, like, tiny figures inside this this massive indoor space, you have these giant figures who are part of these, like, huge open landscapes so it certainly is kind of like polar opposite in terms of not just the imagery but like you're saying the structure where you go from those like 12 panel pages that are frequently in the end of summer to yeah full page spreads for every single page of uh of this is my favorite part (laughs) of i'm playing the video right now (laughs) no they're talking about songs surely so they're talking about both. I guess uh, they are talking about uh, vintage YouTube at the start. Yeah. You yeah, know, there's shots of them watching YouTube videos for sure. Undeniably. Yeah, there's a, there's not a lot to say because, like I said, real like tone poem vibe to this. There is like almost not a story. <laughs> what? Get, huh? There's almost not a story? kind of I mean like the the story the story uh, compared the attempt to summarize what happens in the end of summer to this book which you truly can summarize in like one sentence sure I mean no you can't summarize it in one sentence I, I do mean, I guess it depends I guess it depends how much detail you uh, you want to put in but it is like the universality or universality yeah. I guess you could say of it means that like, The narrative is very familiar. Yeah, I think that is mostly what it's playing with. That it's like, we don't, she doesn't feel the need to explain, like, why a queer teenager might, like, find it difficult to pursue a relation, like, a queer relationship. Mm -hmm. Because that, like, you know, like, we already understand. And, you know, there's, there's sort of this thing in the recent years about, like, sort of the idea of. Just letting queer characters be queer and not like, you know, making the relationship about their queerness in that sense. But then, like, in high school, like, that's virtually unavoidable, I feel like. And to, mm-hmm. well, may, maybe less so today, but like, certainly people of our generation, if mm-hmm. I can say that about Tilly and I. <laughs> <laughs> She's only one year younger than you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Is that like, we're, we're pretty much the same age. Um, Uh, And so, like, I feel like there is, that is, like, sort of the the generational divide between, like, people of our age and people who are even, like, five years younger is just that, like, there is still that lingering thing where, and, you know, I'm sure that is, does still exist, but I'm thinking of, like, Crush, which is a movie that uh, I saw recently, recommend, it's on Disney+, Plus but, like, the sort of whole thing of Crush is that, like, everyone is out, everyone... Like, nobody is, like, trying to hide or, like, homophobic or, like, secretly hates themselves, whatever. Like, everyone is just, like, out and, like, the story sort of proceeds from there. And I feel like that is sort of where media has gone now. And I think that's probably a positive. But then, you know, with this, like, this is much more of, like, a Tilly Walden thing, at least, like, from what I've read. That she is sort of playing with, like, this inherent melancholy of it this inherent sort of not doomedness exactly but this sort of idea that it's like it it can't ever let itself just be like unequivocally happy really mm-hmm. yeah there is um one of the short comics that is in this collection alone in space is called boy it's uh it's got a long title that i'm Going in search of... What it's like to be gay in an all-girls middle school. Right. I saw this name For fox.com. Uh, <laughs> <Sure. laughs> which you can probably find pretty easily. Um, and I think that that does show you kind of more of, like, what you're talking about, especially in terms of, like, relation to peers and, like, struggling. She has, like, a page in it specifically where... she basically lays out like flirting is hard. It's harder when you're 13. It's even harder when you're both 13 and neither of you is allowed to like acknowledge that you're actually interested in each other. Right. Um, I mean, which is like if you take away the, the, the like notion of the closet (laughs) or the, the idea (laughs) that like some of your peers might not like just be totally chill with it then then you do lose that kind of like element of things yeah there's like a weird sort of inherent dramatic tension to that which you know i think it's fair to say is was very like overplayed maybe in like queer work that like Mm -hmm. a lot of it was just sort of about the inherent sort of doomedness of a relationship like i'm thinking even about stuff like carol Mm -hmm. which is sort of like about like that (laughs) Uh just just, just, like the sort of idea of like society will never accept us like Uh and the sort of tragic queers idea yeah or just like i I don't know i feel like the emblematic thing i think of is like any given tv show character dramatically turning around and being like because i'm gay okay like that that is like almost, like, a trope, like, shot unto itself from, like, media circa, like, 1995 to, like, 2012. Right. And I think that, like, that is certainly something it avoids, is the sort of, like... And I think that part of it is the sort of lightness of the storytelling touch. hmm And, like, it doesn't have to... And also, just, like I said, understanding of that sort of... Not a trope, exactly, but that situation that it it can happen in over the course of a sentence and not feel like it's being dwelled upon or that it's the focus of the book mm-hmm. but it can sort of acknowledge that like reality. Yeah. Yeah. Good book, chill read for sure. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> when we went into what, you know, I didn't have really any preconceived notion necessarily about what this, what Tilly Walden's work would be like, but this certainly is more in keeping with what I kind of expected when I heard the like, you know, her work is like she's done graphic memoir, you know, more sort of maybe slice of lifey stuff. This is certainly more in keeping with what I was expecting from her as opposed to End of Summer, which is just <laughs> like, Whoa? Where uh, am I? Yeah, I I would say it's funny. I feel like in terms of sort of like genre end of summer is closer to what we will see from her for like everything after spinning. Um, And, and she has sort of said like, I did like this graphic memoir and it was kind of like my big thing, like kind of at the time when it first came out, but like, I have no interest in being like a graphic memoirist. Right. Like I'm, I'm a fiction writer primarily. And like, I kind of got that out of my system so that I could focus on, on fiction stories. Um, and yeah, most of what she has done, there have been a lot of kind of like fantastical or science fiction or what have you elements to it. Even though I would say the vibe, which is present in the end of summer, but not necessarily kind of first and foremost. It, it's more so like kind of the vibe of like the city inside or us. Now inside. I'm now I'm second guessing myself. <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> HfLc pawn. Yeah. Wait, no, that's a real podcast. <laughs> it's more so got kind of the mood and the tone of I love this part and a city inside. Transported onto some of the like genre sensibilities of the end of summer. Yeah, and I mean, like, I would say a city inside is like, so, so to you know, we can sort of segue here. Like to me, a city inside is like a, like I said, like this is just a Ghibli movie, <laughs> and also like I feel like this is sort of like the merging of the sensibilities, like I was sort of talking about earlier, where. It's, uh, you know, and I guess I love this part is fantastical in that way because of the way it depicts the characters and all the stuff with the perspective. But like, I think that there's always meant to be this implicit understanding of like, this isn't really magical realism. It's more just like the way that like it's a visual metaphor. Yeah. Whereas I think that this has more of like a sense of magical realism where like, you know, when they talk about, like, you went to live in the sky, in my mind, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, she did really do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I within, like, the narrative of the book, I was like, yeah, that's what she did. It's, yeah, I don't really know what to do with A City Inside because, like, there is this, all this fantastical stuff, but it's all in the context of, like, this, like, sort of like hypnotherapy session and then at the end she she seems to just be like in a normie office (laughs) like like she just finished like a session of therapy yeah my interpretation is that like this is a like fortune teller or like this is like some service where it's like we can tell you like what's going to happen in the future i don't want to totally throw a wrench into that but uh her girlfriend is reading Inkheart. Heart. No! Shout out to the Funkheads. <laughs> She's chooky! <laughs> uh, great series. A city inside, like, if I feel that I love this part. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) i did just pause for i I will be cutting that out but i did just pause for like six (laughs) seconds to double check the title of i love this part um (laughs) if i feel like i love this part is light on plot i feel feel like like a city inside is like truly like plotless where it is almost more so like it's like a visual song sure but it's also like this is, like, a life. Like, it's so, it's, like, plot full in a weird way. And, like, yes, it is is very poetic, I think. Like, the way that, you know, it's obviously almost completely narration-based. And it's very, you know, I think what's sort of interesting with this is, like I said, it's sort of melding the two sensibilities. And I think it takes a lot from I Love This Part in terms of the way it, lets itself breathe and it's sort of interesting because i feel like that's almost a different lesson you can take from what she was talking with end of somewhere it's like the reader can spend as much time in the setting as as they want like i think and that's something we've talked about on this podcast before is that like with comics you have the ability to play with time scale in a way that you don't with a movie mm-hmm. and i think that like Being aware of that is a a pretty powerful asset for a comics creator. But then it feels like, you know, end of summer is like they can spend as much time in the setting as they want. So I will make the setting as detailed as possible so that like they will be rewarded by like continuing to exist (laughs) within this setting. Whereas with this, it's like it's almost made to be like flipped through quickly and you know, you sort of start to flip through it quickly because but then it's like it doesn't feel any less like allowing you to sit in the setting like it, it it has that sense of like being able to breathe but rather than by doing that like within a frame it's just sort of like creates that atmosphere by virtue of the way that it, it sort of spaces itself yep Agreed. <laughs> I, I get the sense <laughs> I like this one more than you, perhaps. I don't, I, yeah, I I don't dislike this one. This it is probably is, pretty firmly my favorite of the three. I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I I would say probably it's reverse order for me uh, from from you. Uh, uh, actually, I guess not. I'm sure we both probably have. I love this part as number one. I know you just said you have this as number one. <laughs> so I, I yeah I would part. probably go. I love this part. The End of Summer, A City Inside. Not because, again, there's nothing to... I don't have any like critiques of this. It's just, I think, in the same way that you say... Kikuchi? End of Summer. <laughs> no. <laughs> the same way that you say <laughs> that The End of Summer is kind of hard for you to connect with because it's kind of like too dense. I would say that A City Inside is more difficult for me to connect to because there is a certain not lack of density, but it is, it is just a little bit more abstract in a way that just doesn't always do it for me in the same way. Yeah. I mean, like it is, it is so Ghibli for me in the sense that like it can be not low concept, but sort of like low plot in terms of its beats. Like it doesn't, you know, really dig into specifics or anything like that. And like we said, it doesn't really have any dialogue, but that like it can feel so rich and sumptuous and, while while still like doing while still sort of being airy and open i think that is sort of the environment that it's creating and like i love this part even though i like it it is very much just like yes this is what a teenager again a very talented teenager this is what like a teenager would make they would make a story about being a teenager and like having a first relationship and it's happy and it's heartbreaking And like you listen to music, (laughs) like (laughs) it feels very much like, you know, we sort of talked about how end of summer is like, how did a teenager make this? This is, I I love this part is like, yes, a teenager made this. This is very obvious. Mm -hmm. I would be very surprised (laughs) if someone over the age of like 25 made this. Mm -hmm. And then a city inside, like I said, it's it's the meeting of those two poles where it's like, Definitely, like, not even definitely, like, a young person, it has that certain, like, youthful optimism to it, maybe. And, you know, we sort of see that in the way that it it sort of has this delineation point where it's looking to the past, like, the way the narration changes tenses, where it's like, it's in the past, it's in the present, it's in the future. And so it has that sort of perspective of what will my life be like, sort of like looking into the future in that way but then also has the the adequate perspective to be like this is what my life will be like like this is what it will feel like when i'm 10 years removed from a relationship this is like what my internal mind and emotions will like form within me and i think that that's cool (laughs) (laughs) yep Agreed. Um, I do. Yeah. I like them all. Well, yeah, it has Cinnabon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't engage with that. Um, <laughs> I do think that this is like, uh, again, a stunning collection of work for someone that did all of this before she was 20. And I do think that it has interesting kind of like seeds of what we will see from her as we continue through this miniseries. And as we, I'm sure we'll have to uh, continue to return to her as new uh, new work comes yeah. out. She certainly doesn't seem like she's uh, planning on slowing down or stopping anytime soon, I guess in terms of kind of like career uh, arc or trajectory, we mentioned already that, like, again, she was discovered and sought for uh, for publishing while she was still in high school. Um, after she graduated from high school, she did a two year program at the Center for Cartooning and. Hold on, I've got it here Center for Cartoon Studies. Center for Cartoon Studies, of course, at which, like many luminaries of the especially the independent comics scene, have been instructors and at which she now is an instructor. So, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that she was, like, working on these while she was in high school and while she was like, I just imagine like being in class with someone who it's like, yes, I'm like here I'm learning. Also, I'm like the only person in this class who doesn't already have like an undergrad degree from somewhere. And also I'm already published and actively like being published again. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean like that's very evil. (laughs) It is. It is wrong of her to do that. She should have waited until her career was over before she got her degree. Of course. Um, yeah, she should. She shouldn't uh, have Vince Carter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, while she was there, she also developed spinning originally as her like final thesis project, basically, yeah. and then subsequently expanded it out to the graphic memoir that we know and love today, which of course will be the next thing that we cover. Um, as far as like alone in space and some of the stuff that is in there that is worth checking out, I do think um, what it's like to be gay in an all-girl middle school should be like pretty easy to find and is an interesting read. She also includes one of her like earliest comics from 2013, which is called Glare, and <laughs> writes of it in the introduction. Uh, the work of a moody unhappy teen though that drawing made me happy this comic is so bleak but it's how i felt at the time growing up is vicious and it is about these two girls who are walking home from the 7-eleven with some candy and like talking about the simpsons and then one of them is texting with someone and the other one gets mad because the girl who is being texted with bullied her and they have, like, kind of a fight, and then the girl who was texting tries to make it up by re-engaging, like, the Simpsons talk, even though she doesn't really know anything about the the Simpsons. And then, right as, like, the other girl is, like, coming out of her shell and getting back into it, she gets absolutely splattered by a car. <laughs> it's so grim. <laughs> um, and you do get, like, the shot of, like, the car wreck and her, like, body under it um Mm -hmm. and then you like turn the page and have the friends just like a look of horror and then it's like the end (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy Um, very cool though the the title glare is really cool because it is about like this fight between these two girls and they glare at each other several times and every time they do glare at each other they are backlit by car headlights with like the glare of the headlights you Mm -hmm. know which, again, I'm just like, you're 16. You're not allowed to understand like visual imagery like this. It's illegal. Um, but if you are able to like find that somewhere, I thought it was very interesting uh, to read and to look at. Most of the rest of it is stuff like it's like assignments that she did while she was at the Center for Cartoon Studies. And this is my favorite part. Some of it is very cool. Some of it is, you know one-page comics that are like exercises <laughs> um yeah. but uh, but cool stuff in there if you are interested in uh, in the early work of tilly walden like it's not very often that you get something like this where there is so much stuff that is like previously unpublished and you can't even necessarily dismiss it and be like well of course it's never been republished like it is student assignments it's like well yeah but like there's it's student assignments by someone who is already an award-winning published creator yeah, like when she was doing the assignment. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, you can't even say like, well, you know, it's just her student work. Cause it's like, well, yeah, it's the student work of a professional. <laughs> yeah. That's there's, there's this, uh, this intro thing in the version of end of summer that I have from James Sturm, who is the founder of the, uh, center for cartoon studies. I don't know if mm-hmm. you have this as well, but, he he talks about he says uh in the spring of 2015 tilly walden not even a year out of high school was a student at the center for cartoon studies students finished their first year at ccs with an open-ended six-week project it's usually their most ambitious work to date tilly produced a stunning and wistful comic that was an impressive achievement for anyone little and someone so young and that's spitting you said right or like the the no so it's it's really interesting actually she tried to do like a figure skating story for that assignment and like had a nervous breakdown when she came to the point that she tried to draw herself on the ice which is when she was like huh interesting <laughs> repressed trauma this seems like it could be something more important and so instead she did this story that is called in the palm of your hand which is about it's it's very much in the vein of the other stuff we've already kind of talked about, this girl like gets picked up by this like giantess who like walks around with her in her hand and she like gets to see the world, uh, but she like misses home but like doesn't know how to tell the giant, but then she decides like it's cool though, because I get to see the world and I'm like safe here in the palm of your hand, so mm, again, very like fantastical, very melancholy, very internal, kinky, some would say uh- <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, the, the second paragraph of this is, I was later stunned to learn that Tilly's classroom assignment wasn't the only project she was working on during that time. The other project far greater in ambition and scope was the end of summer. And so it is very funny to be like, I'm submitting this, which is like, you know, I'm sure that's a very cool comic. It sounds cool. And it's like, but also I'm working on (laughs) the end of summer. But also I have a publishing obligations to fulfill. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Very good. I felt like I had something I wanted to say about her as a student, but now I can't remember what it was. It is very funny. Like we've talked about how there's like all this like melancholy and internality and like you get the impression of like a very sensitive creator. Um but when you read like interviews with her, she's like very confident and like outgoing and just like kind of not who you would expect at all, which she talks about in some of her interviews as being like business Tilly. <laughs> um But it is funny because you do so much get the impression of like, wow, she must be so like shy and quiet and like reserved. And then you like read these interviews where she's like, so I've stopped penciling because I figure if I can draw it in pencil, I can draw it in ink. And it's just like, (laughs) what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, And and like. I was reading one interview where someone was like basically trying to ask her, like, would she ever take a movie deal? And he's like stammering through this question where he's like, "Uh, so if someone, you know, expressed interest in, you know, adapting one of your projects to another medium, uh, do you think you would? uh," And she just interjects and is like, sell my soul to Hollywood. And he's like, well, yeah. And she says, yes, definitely. (laughs) 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 Which is like. I don't know, you do, like, you do get the impression from, especially these early comics, of someone who is, like, very much the, like, the soulful artiste. But I think it takes a certain, like, you know, it's the classic, like, athlete thing where it's, like, it does take a certain level of confidence to, like, not even to just, like, get published, but to be, like... I as like an eighteen year old. I'm like deserving of having my book in a bookstore <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah, and and it goes like beyond confidence to like she does have a certain like is similar. I think to what we talked about with Cook, where it was it was sort of different because Cook's charisma sort of like comes through the page, whereas with her, it almost seems like like she doesn't often really like open herself up maybe in in her like actual personal life or like kind of day-to-day stuff. And these comics really are like a form of self-expression for her to like sort of share the things that she doesn't necessarily always choose to share in other ways or at other times. And when you say that, it, like it, again, it calls to mind someone who might be quite shy and quite reserved. And instead it's like someone who knows, I guess where their comfort zone is and occupies it very confidently but when it comes time to share things that she might not feel as comfortable bringing forward in those spaces she still brings the same sort of like self-assurance to a different arena to share things in different ways or different things than she would i guess in person or in other mediums yeah media please Uh, please you're welcome (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, but like yeah i think that the the charisma and the confidence rather than it coming across in the story she tells it comes across in like her formal elements in the way that she can be like like you know i think it takes confidence to sort of have a minimalist style in a way like it takes confidence to be like this line is enough sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is what comes across in her work is like, even when her stories and her like emotional palette isn't necessarily working in like very like strong, you know, aggressiveness, I guess in that Mm -hmm. way, like her, she always seems to be sort of in command of what she's doing. Yeah, and even like again to to be so young and working on something like the end of summer and just be like, no, I don't need a page where it's like a group shot of everybody and their names are like labeled over them. Like people will figure it out or they won't, and I don't like really care whether they do or not. Sort of to an extent, like basically like that's not that's not how I want to tell this story. I want to yeah. let it kind of like unfold and, and unravel in a way and the people who care to sort of attach to that and gravitate to that and figure it out are the people who this is sort of like meant for. Sales-wise, uh, I didn't look too hard, but I couldn't find a lot of information about the original that, yeah. releases. Um, Awards-wise, she wins some awards for these. She wins the Ignatz Award in particular, which is the like small press expos uh, award which I believe has been won by other people we've talked about previously, but I don't think we have actually talked about the knots specifically. Let's have, let's have a look. Well, in 1998, it was won by Dave Sim. <laughs> of course, classic. Um, there was also an interview I read with her where someone asks if she's read Cerebus by Dave Sim, and her answer is, I don't really read comics anymore, <laughs> which <laughs> floors the person. But, but like, he is... a uh, like pretty towering figure in independent comics. Of course, Cerebus is sort of famous for being the platform that he used to share some ideas about gender that are controversial. Right. And, and he is far from a controversy free figure, but like you can't really talk about like independent comics without talking about him because he is quite a prominent figure in terms of both like his creative output and, just like being a, a like creator advocate, basically. Um, yeah, so it doesn't just, surprise me that he is a, <laughs> a past winner. Sure. I'm just scrolling through uh, the various winners. You know, Persepolis is the first Outstanding Graphic Novel winner. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, some other stuff that we have mentioned but not uh, covered, like Love and Rockets, I know is something that you have mentioned mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, my favorite thing is Monsters, I Remember You. Talking about on a previous Good book i'm sure it is so i love this part wins the ignats in 2016 for outstanding art or sorry the end of summer wins in 2016 for outstanding artist and then i love this part wins for promising new talent which is crazy <laughs> it's classic uh you know actually we can't talk about the grammy award for best new artist again <laughs> yeah surely um and then i love this part is also nominated for the 2016 eisner for best single issue or one shot and i am curious uh about who won that it was of course silver surfer number 11 never after <laughs> by dan slot and michael allred sure. um i haven't talent. read that series but it is well loved by many for sure so can't speak to whether or not that is a uh, a deserved win in that case And then, and then a city inside won won a award that I've never heard of the Broken Frontier Award for best one shot. So, yeah, like I said, insanely young, instantly uh, celebrated and embraced. (sighs) Yeah, it's it is crazy. It does seem like there should be something like some explanation for this, like her dad <laughs> yeah. or her mom is like a famous comic artist I was or say, like, like, is there a little nepotism as Jack Black uh, would say? Yeah. But, but no, she does talk about like the importance of her dad's influence on right. her, like to becoming a comics creator. But it's like, because he was the, like the one who bought me Hunter X Hunter and like got me to go to that, like Scott McLeod thing. I think it's not like David, because of his, David, just be it's careful. Hunter by Hunter. It's just Hunter Hunter. Oh I no, I just don't want you to cancelled. Hunter, hunter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and perfectly. I'll of course splice that in. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways. So, so yeah, it's it's not like because he used his industry connections to like get me right. get me like in or even like because he taught me how to draw or anything like that. It's like she was a high school art student and then she like went to this workshop and was like, "Now I've like unlocked the key to my artistic expression and it's time for me to become an instant critical darling." <laughs> right. So, yeah, the, a, a fascinating beginning to uh, a fascinating career, no doubt. One which is still in many ways in its earliest stages. I would be interested to compare like where she is right now to where, for example, uh, BKV type was uh, a few years into his career because he is himself a bit of a wonderkind in some ways where we talked about like, wow, he was like only 21 and writing, you know, I think he had started Y at that point possibly. But but. She's just like so young, even <laughs> yeah. compared to him. Um, so hopefully that will get all of our like, "Wow, she's so young!" talk out of the way, okay. um, and it can be it can be kind of understood for the remainder of the series that she will be continue to be young. Yeah, she will continue to be young. She will continue to have been shockingly young when she did all of the things that we talk about, pretty much. But uh, but it is exciting to know that really this is. In some ways, like the the like prologue to yeah. uh, her her broader career at large, and that we're we haven't even really scratched the surface yet. Um, so, looking forward to uh, continuing to dive into her work and to all of the uh, great work to come. Tilly, Tilly. <laughs> oh, we will of course be here on Walden Pond uh, sure. for at least another four episodes. Absolutely. Four, three. no five five, four (laughs) (laughs) three two one (laughs) and that was of course my countdown to the end of the episode yes thank you all for listening do you want me yeah i'll take it from here then yeah please do uh please remember to rate review subscribe etc i keep meaning next episode at the beginning of the episode, I'm gonna ask people to tell a friend. I'm gonna I'm gonna start some marketing. Like, mm. I want to make some money off this. I think it's time. <laughs> <laughs> Please feel free to take over the Twitter account. <laughs> I'll be doing no such thing. Uh, great job though. Keep it up. <laughs> um, and of course, if you want to see that great Twitter content, you can follow Got the Runs Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can email us at gottherunspod at gmail.com. You can follow myself at chouse and jan on Twitter. Listen to High Floor, Low Ceiling. Listen to Bevy of Bevies. Two crazy episodes of both of those uh, came out last week. I heartily recommend them. Tequila Shot for Bevy of Bevies was quite an experience. And then we immediately rolled into uh, the great Colin Ashley appearing on High Floor, Low Ceiling to talk about sports drinks. Uh, So that was a very (laughs) fun time. It sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) It certainly is a well-cultivated brand. (laughs) (laughs) You are a cruel person. Uh, (laughs) Next week, we will be covering the graphic memoir spinning that we have previously alluded to uh and pressing on from there but that will do it for today until next time to To be be continued. continued and of course uh wikipedia says that the end of summer is told quote from the viewpoint of lars a feeble boy